When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not a common thing that you're starting all-world defensive center fielder, playing left for the Blue Jays, is also your backup catcher. But yeah, so now the fans will be right up against the fence, which is great, but the wall is going to be 15 feet high. So <laughs> nobody's getting up there. This is where the metzing is at peak metzing. <laughs> I love that this is a verb. It's great. <laughs> And welcome to episode number 256 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we're helping out the Skydome renovations by throwing our desks out the window and recording right from the floor. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the uh, ebullient Joshua Hausam. I think I actually looked up ebullient last time to make sure it meant the thing I thought it meant. <laughs> yeah, and I think, <laughs> I think I said that it wasn't necessarily accurate, although today I think it is. I mean, even though I'm back from vacation, I shouldn't be cheerful, but whatever. Um, well, the reason we are recording so late is because throwing our desks out and recording them from the floor made the audio go all wonky last time, and then I went away. <laughs> so and, we're back. And I tried to rope in our regular co-host, and he also was on vacation because apparently everybody around here but me is allowed to take one of those. Tonight, we are going to discuss, or today, depending on when you're listening, uh, the signings of uh, Brandon Belt, Zach Thompson, uh, some DFAs that accompanied them. We're going to answer that eternal question, what happens now with the roster as we get closer and closer to spring training? Uh, the Blue Jays have announced, of course, that the uh, renovation which we have all suspected is going to change things at Rogers Center in regards to how the field looks is is very much going to do that. We're going to give the figures that we do have. We have your questions. Uh, we're going to meet the Mets. We haven't met the Mets in a while. Carlos Correa reminded us that the Mets are a whole thing. And uh, we have a gold star for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And it's it's uh, not on the field. It's it's a it's a media thing. So first things first, Brandon Belt who is now a Blue Jay, but was something of a San Francisco Giants kind of kind of fan favorite legend in a certain sense. Well, sure. I, I mean, Brandon Bolt had been with the team since 2011, so he was there and a starter for two of their World Series championships. And, and you know, that's a long time for any one player to be with a franchise. So he certainly reached some level of icon status, even though he was never Buster Posey or Madison Bumgarner in terms of putting up eye-popping numbers in any specific one season, but he was just a consistent, very, very good player for them. Yeah, he was, um, <clears throat> was he, was he the Vernon Wells of, of, uh, no, he probably didn't get as much bad press for his contract. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, he got a lot of, why are they playing Brandon Belt against lefties more? He should be, Dusty Baker should be using him more. It was the opposite. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so what does he bring to the Blue Jays, I guess, is the question at this point. We've, we, we've been thinking about, uh, didn't you say the Blue Jays needed a right-hander? Well, if you actually go back and listen to the audio, I said they need someone who can hit right-handed and someone who can play first base. <laughs> and, they, and the whoever plays first base needs to just be able to hit. So they still need the right-handed bat. <laughs> now, and I said, like, if you could get Trey Mancini, who is right-handed and can do that, that would have been ideal. But his contract ended up being not realistic. So instead, they signed Brandon Belt for one year, $9.3 million, a left-handed hitting first baseman, who, which means no more Kevin Biggio at first base, which is already a great thing. It, it feels more secure uh, when, when Vlad takes a day off or DHs. It, just, it feels like Brandon Belt, in, in every sense of the word, uh, as far as I know, is a perfectly qualified third baseman, or first baseman, not third baseman, first baseman, uh, on the defensive side. So that's cool. I think 
anything under $10 million is, is pretty cheap for a guy who has a good track record. Yeah, and part of the reason the Jays were able to get Belt on this deal and why the Giants were willing to let him go, well, for one, he's 35, so it's not like he's a young guy. Well, he turns 35 in April. But he's coming off a pretty bad season. And so normally you'd look at a guy who was 34 and had a bad season and think, uh, well, that's probably the end for this guy. But there was a very good reason for it. He had knee surgery, which ended up ending his season, and when he talked about it, he was saying that he basically couldn't even hit home runs in batting practice. His knee was so bad. Oof. And yeah, <laughs> this is a guy who in the previous two seasons had hit 38 home runs in 148 games, could not hit home runs in batting practice. That's a real sign that the injury is actually hampering your play. Unlike, uh, oh, at the end of the season, guess what? I was injured. He was he was shut down and just didn't play the last bit of the season. So it was a very real thing. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who played in a park that really suppresses home runs as well. Especially from left-handed batters. Yeah, in, in every sense of the word, suboptimal. Um. So I think, we'll get to it later, but I think playing in the American League East and, and at the new, quote-unquote, Skydome, I'm calling it Skydome now consistently, um, it will be very interesting, even though I, he's not going to be an everyday player, barring some kind of weird injury. Um, certainly, I feel like having a guy on the bench, like you said, who can, who can hit. Now, we wanted a... And the, like you said, we, we wanted someone who could hit from the other side. But but having uh, not uh, a, a series of poor options off of the bench um, in a pinch hitting situation is something that Blue Jays, I don't, I feel like they haven't had since Matt Stairs. Yeah, and actually it sounds like he's going to be pretty much the everyday DH. And that might sound surprising given the viability of the Blue Jays catchers on offense. But when you look at the state of the roster, the Blue Jays have Kevin Kiermaier in center, who's very injury prone. George Springer in right, who's very injury prone. And Danny Jansen as a catcher, who's very injury prone. <laughs> if any of those three guys gets hurt, the outfield depth gets very, very shallow. Because if Jansen gets hurt, Varsho has to become the catcher. So... By having Belt be the more regular DH, it allows their catchers, Kirk and Jansen, to get more regular rest instead of constantly having to go from catcher to DH, back to catcher to DH. This, this way they can actually get off their feet, which I think is very interesting. My brain breaks every time someone says, uh, and then Varsha will have to catch. It really does. It's not a common thing that you're starting <laughs> all-world defensive center fielder, playing left for the Blue Jays, is also your backup catcher. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the level of athleticism required for those two positions <laughs> and the speed required for those two positions is usually on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, uh, completely. Like the catcher third baseman old school trope makes sense in my brain, but the, the you could play center but also catch is so strange. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, go ahead. Well, just when we talk about Belt's offense. So... I mentioned he hit 38 home runs in 140 games in the previous two seasons. If he comes back to that, the Jays have absolutely struck gold. But even if he doesn't, the guy that he was previously had a 120 OPS plus, which means that he was 20% better than league average. And this is a guy that for the Jays might hit what, seventh. Yeah. This is great. This lineup, you know, despite the the moaning and and tales of woe at the beginning of the off season, which really it does bother me. I try to not let it bother me, but it does bother me to read those things. So I tend to get off of Twitter uh, for various reasons. But but that is chief among them at the beginning of the off season because because always the you know the house is on fire and no one has any water to put it out. And what are the Blue Jays doing? And then like late January rolls around and you're like, oh, like they have an above average hitter, if healthy, at every single spot in the lineup. Oh, and all world defense in the outfield. Scratch. Well, head. except center. <laughs> Kiermaier's not an above average hitter. But other than that, 
Okay. They have they have eight of nine guys who are above average hitters, potentially. Yeah. And some of them who are well, well, well above average hitters. This isn't a Cardinal situation where everyone is slightly better than average. They just have some superstars. <laughs> Um, and one of the things with Belt is that he has always, even when last year when his power went away, he still walked 12.4% of the time, which he's a career 12.1%. So the, that's a skill that he takes with him. And he's not a guy who's going to strike out over 30% of the time. He's never done that. And again, his power, his isolated slugging, which is basically takes away, it's just showing your, your extra base power, was by far the lowest of his career, which supports what he was saying about the knee sapping all of his power. All right. I think we've, uh, oh, and now we can all say belted when a home run gets hit and really mean it, which I've been waiting for years to be able to do that. <laughs> oh, the puns. There will be so many. <laughs> uh, Zach Thompson. What, what is a Zach Thompson? For those of us who might not have been paying attention. A swingman who the Jays acquired, they traded Chavez Young for him. So Zach Thompson, he, he was traded by the Pirates to the Blue Jays. Chavez Young, who was from the Bahamas, where I just was. <laughs> just rubbing it in, Josh. Sure. Yes, that was the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the podcast is pretty much rolling up to an end here, so... <laughs> My audio goes strangely <laughs> silent for the rest. Yeah, we're just going to run this one solo. Um, anyway, <laughs> Swingman, Bahamian, Zach Thompson. No, wait. No. Thompson isn't even the Bahamian. Anyway. <laughs> no, they traded away the Bahamian. Um, yeah, Chavez Young, the guy they sent out, you know, he was a guy that was, they're moving him off the roster anyway. He, he, he never had made it to the 40 men, and he was passed over in the Rule 5 numerous times. He was a very, he's a very good defensive outfielder, but that's about it who always hits himself in the back with his swing. I find that very amusing in spring training. But I digress. Zach Thompson. He's a guy who we talked about in the last episode, how the Jays needed to add some starting pitching depth because they're one injury away from real potential catastrophe. Well, I guess two, because I guess Mitch White could move into the rotation or Kikuchi, whichever one doesn't win the, the job. But still, you need more than six starting pitchers in any given major league season if you want to have any success. And getting a guy like Thompson, who had success in 2021 and then had no success in 2022, I'll get into some of the changes in a bit, but getting a guy like that who has a minor league option who you can just send down and he can just fill a role as emergency insurance, that's a very valuable thing to be adding for nothing. Yeah. Um, the flexibility of minor league options are sometimes very hard to come by, uh, even when you're trying to, you know, uh, look at waivers or trades or, or other things like that. So uh, knowing that he has options, yay, because <laughs> he's going he's gonna to need them. He sure, yeah, he, there's no chance he's making the roster. Well, if he makes the roster, something very strange happened. So something funny happened. Thompson was almost a full-time starter last year for the Pirates. Started well, he started 22 of 29 games, but he there was a long stretch of consecutive starts after the year before with the with the Marlins starting 14 of 26 and only throwing 75 innings total. All of his pitches got a little worse. Uh, the horizontal break went was about an inch and a half to two inches less on every single pitch, and that can be okay in the sense of everything is still playing the same way together, but he relied so heavily on a cutter and his cutter went from being a nice horizontal breaking pitch to something that was pretty straight. <laughs> mm. And when that's your most frequently used pitch, it needs to break. And so there's an element of something that is fixable. It's like, okay, well, something went wrong. Now we have a chance to fix it and you can be in the minors that there's a chance that it could actually be a very useful piece as opposed to just emergency depth, which I think is pretty valuable. Yeah, and if, and if he's not, if he is just an emergency piece, no harm, no foul, right? Yeah, and if, he, if he's pitching on the Blue Jays in April or May, something, something has gone very wrong. Like, that's a bad scenario. But as just further depth, because they have some guys in the minors, like Ricky Tideman, obviously, but Yasver Zulueta, 
He'll be starting in the minors, apparently, to start the season. They have some Roberts. And they've got guys that are prospects that towards the back of the season will be ready to assist. So Thompson just basically has to be the safety bridge for really a couple months. Cool. Uh, in order to make room for all of these goings on that we've talked about over the past few weeks, uh, the, it always is the 40-man roster sort of crunch. Who did the Jays have to uh, part ways with? So they, they there were two players. One, okay, so they acquired at various points in this offseason, we did, which we didn't talk about, Julian and Junior Fernandez. Not confusing at all. <laughs> Both extremely hard-throwing, underperforming right-handed pitchers. Okay. So when they acquired Belt and Thompson, they had to create two roster spots. One of them was created by DFAing Junior Fernandez, and the other one was by DFAing Julian Merriweather. <laughs> Junior Fernandez actually cleared waivers and he's back. But Julian Merriweather, you know, this is the name that matters to people because he's been around and obviously he was the return for Josh Donaldson who showed all that promise. He's a cub now. I'm okay with that. Yeah, well, yeah. It's so funny. Merriweather's a guy that he's just like, we've talked about this how many times. If he can just change his fastball a little bit, he could be so good. But he's got to stay healthy enough for you to do that, which he just hasn't been able to do. And he was so terrible last year. At some point, you have to say, you know what? The guy throws hard, but he can't get the job done. Yeah, and it's a rare breed that runs into that situation so often, where it, it uh, you know, on paper looks great and it really goes south. Usually, there's there's more signs than that. But Merriweather had a very very rough time last year, uh, keeping the ball in the ballpark, for example. Uh, and when you consider how much time and effort the Jays have invested with a, with a guy who just can't stay healthy, and then when he does get healthy, isn't great, it's probably a change of scene for everybody is probably for the best at this point. Yeah, it just wasn't worth keeping him on the roster. And I think it says a lot that they made that decision when they could have gone with Trent Thornton or Thomas Hatch. But they yeah. didn't. They went with Merriweather because they think he's less likely to provide them some value. Those other guys have options, which really helps. So they can be more depth. Whereas Merriweather does not, which means he can't be sent to the minors. And the way the bullpen is currently constructed, he's, I don't know, second or third on the depth chart among guys who won't even necessarily make the roster. So I just think they had to let him go. Fair enough. Um, So... This leaves the Jays with um, a narrowing field of players to pick from and a narrowing list of needs. Are, are we really down to a fourth outfielder who can bat, uh, or sorry, who can, uh, yeah, who can bat right-handed? That's one of two things. I, yeah, so the fourth outfielder, I still think that should be something they're trying to get. You know, some of the guys like that have gone off the board. Adam Duvall signed with Boston, I think. Uh, AJ Pollock went to the Mariners. Yeah, and McCut Andrew McCutcheon went back to the Pirates for some reason. I mean, he says he wants to apparently retire the Pirates. But then he's like, I'm not here on a farewell tour. I'm here to win. Well, he signed with the Pirates, dude. Oh God, that's uh, kind of weird. I guess you'll win a game. I mean, that will happen. <laughs> yeah, you might win 50. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 55 even if it goes well. But... There's still options out there. Um, Robbie Grossman, who we brought up a couple times on this podcast, and just Brendan Kuhn asked a question. He just said, Robbie Grossman, question mark, question mark. <laughs> yeah, he would be great. <laughs> he's a switch hitter who plays solid enough defense, but who crushes left-handed pitching when he's, so when he's batting right-handed. Fantastic option. The problem the Jays have here is that, especially after standing, signing Brandon Belt, we look at this roster and say, well, yeah, there's not a lot of at-bats right now, but Kiermaier Springer and, <laughs> and, yeah. and Jansen, right? Like, these guys get hurt. But if you're a player, you're like, okay, but what if they don't? Why, yeah. why would I sign here when I can sign there where I'm going to get playing time no matter what? So it's, it's a very tough needle to thread. Kyle Garlick was designated for assignment and waived by the twins. And people thought that was a perfect storm because he's going to make no money. And 
he had success against left-handed batters. But the more you dug into it, it was in like 140 at bats, and the strikeout rates were through the roof, and the walk rates were th- were into the floor. It's gonna be tough to see how they do this, and hopefully they can get a guy. If not, it'll be Otto Lopez, I guess. Um, and the second thing, I think they still should get a high-end level bullpen arm. By that, I don't I don't mean, I mean there's no one left that's a lights out reliever. Well, I mean, I guess the JK just get Andrew Chafin, the lefty reliever, but I don't think they're going to have the budget for that. But to me, the ideal option is still Zach Britton. And we'll get into why that might be really valuable in a second. <laughs> but I've talked about how with his recovery from Tommy John, he apparently threw for, for teams last week and looked like Zach Britton. If you can get that guy, that's a huge boost to the bullpen. And then the other guy is Alex Reyes, who might even take a minor league deal with a higher uh incentive dollar contract who was a top top arm he was a closer for the cardinals as recently as two years ago but he's had some injury problems so those are the type of guys i'd love to see them still try to get guys who if healthy could be elite top back of the bullpen relievers as opposed to more guys like adam simber um, but adam simber does have something going in his favor which we're going to uh, touch on in the next the next segment where we discuss another plank in the wall uh the new wall which is v- much taller for all intents and purposes but we don't know how tall it's going to be what we do know is how far away from home plate they're supposed to be yeah so this was announced on the 21st we're recording this on the 22nd 23rd oh, yeah it's the 23rd i guess yeah it came out two days ago uh, Roger Center's dimensions, we knew they were going to change with all the renovations and the way that they're putting in the bullpens, but the right center field alley meant that the depth is dropping from 375 feet to 357 feet. <laughs> and left field is 375 to 366. Center field is basically the same. It's only dropping three feet. But for because so Tom Tango's research basically suggests that one foot of wall height is equivalent to one foot of of distance in terms of, you know, like if you add a foot to the wall, you can drop a foot in the distance and it'll be this play the same. The Jays would have to raise their 10-foot fence to 28 feet <laughs> in order to <laughs> mitigate this. They're not going to do that. No, they, 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 they're they going to get part of the way there, but the park is certainly shrunk. I mean, you, you look at the pictures and it, it does look like 20-foot wall doesn't seem like an unreasonable um, estimate for for these sections. Um, but again, it, it's hard to... Because everything's under construction, it's hard to say exactly how things are going to work. Obviously, it's it reminds me of the Crawford boxes in... Um, in Houston, which are, I mean, ridiculously short in the corners. Um, but that super high wall, but the fans are very close to the action. But you're never going to get that, the the Baltimore, you know, robbing the home run, Yankee Stadium robbing the home run from the first row with what I've seen so far about the of Jays outfield fences. No, I mean, it's going to be, it used to be hard enough with 10 feet. Only if you guys could go up there and get those. Well, and there but, was there were no fans to steal them from as well, right? Because there was the whole bullpen gap in yeah. the way. And then when it wasn't, there was this weird gap between the stands and the fence because it was concourse or something. But yeah, so now the fans will be right up against the fence, which is great, but the wall is going to be 15 feet high. So <laughs> nobody's getting up there. Well, Kevin Kiermaier is going to do it somehow just because he's a wizard. But it's going to be really interesting, especially that right center field one, because the Jays have some guys who use that spot a lot. Well, first they've added all these left-handed hitters, <laughs> Kiermaier, Varsho, and Belt. And that's, so that, that, I mean, that's obviously going to be helpful for them. That's the power alley for left-handed batters. But the other big one is Bobichet and Vlad Guerrero Jr. Both of them hit the ball to that spot of the field specifically a lot. I'm always leery of a team that designs uh its fences around a particular roster that they have oh i don't think they did that <laughs> I, I i think if they did they would have really changed who they have on the mound <laughs> yeah that's the pro- the problems are named potentially uh, kevin gaussman and uh alec manoa 
Yeah. So I did see a graphic that showed balls that they gave up in the park last year that would have been beyond these fences. There were no wall heights taken into account. It was just a, you know, a two-dimensional line. But it didn't look as bad as it actually could have been. Uh, Gossman at least strikes out a lot of hitters. And Manoa gets soft contact. So most of their fly balls, especially uh, Manoa's, don't actually reach the fence. But it's still worse because they're contact driven. And then the same thing for Jose Barrios, who is not, he gets more strikeouts than, than Manoa does, but he's not a strikeout pitcher. Yeah. But hey, but maybe, just, maybe Zach Britton. <laughs> well, that's why I said it. Get, get the elite ground baller. This is why you mentioned Adam Simber, who's also an elite ground ball pitcher. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're trying to mitigate that in the late game, you would want someone in the bullpen who is a ground ball machine, even if it means you know the runners advancing potentially. Um, I mean, it depends how. It, I think we're going to find out in the first couple of months just how it plays because the other thing is you could be changing the airflow in the building with how much renovation they're doing, right? And also, there's airflow when the roof is open and the airflow when the roof is closed. Yeah. Sure. Um, now, they did say that all their, their numbers that they have worked out suggested it would be a neutral change. I find that very hard to believe seeing these numbers, but those numbers are also just – we don't know where those numbers are actually falling because if that's like the point of the bullpen that is the furthest out and then it shoots back, well, then sure, that one spot would be shorter, but it would be harder to hit it to the other spots. We don't actually know how it's going to play, but it'll be interesting to see. And just quickly back to Brandon Belt and Dalton Varsho, the two lefties that they acquired that have any power. I'm not even going to mention Kiermaier. Mm -hmm. Belt is coming from a park that was 19% less than average in terms of the amount of home runs hit. Varsho, 16% less than average. Both extreme pitchers parks and the dome is plus 8% compared to average. So they should both hit a lot of home runs in Toronto. Yeah, it wasn't so long ago that, I mean, Toronto was a team of home run hitters, right? It's it's kind of weird that they've gotten away from that with the fact that the park hasn't changed. Um, it's kind of, it's just weird how things swing back and forth. Um, your thoughts, uh, you, you obviously are still going to be sitting in your good seats for a season ticket holder, uh, but your thoughts on the multiple, apparently, uh, areas of, uh, some ticketed, some first come, first serve um, mezzanine lounge things that are now going to be in the park. So I understand the idea of ticketing it, but I hate it. Uh, so I experienced this when I was in uh, was it Colorado, I think it was. And we wish, we just wanted to explore the park and see what it looked like. And we just couldn't get to certain areas. Actually, it happened in Milwaukee as well. I want to be able to see what your park is like if I'm a visitor. And if I'm a fan, I want to be able to experience the park in all these different ways without having to get tickets to go to a bar. I understand, like, you know, you don't want to let people come to where down in the hundred level behind the plate because, you know, those are seats. Those are expensive seats for, I'm not talking about mine, I'm talking about the ones in front of mine. You know, those are really expensive seats. And yeah, you don't want people just wandering in and out of there, but it's a bar. It's supposed to be for wandering. So, I get allowing wanting tickets because you get revenue instead of everyone buying 500 level tickets and moving down there. And now these people will buy the WestJet flight deck, mm -hmm. but it's just, it's disappointing to, I, and I know lots of people who that's where they like to watch games from. And now they will have to spend a lot more to do that. Yeah. And I mean, the only thing you can say is what you indicated right there is the Blue Jays are hardly the ones to pioneer this particular aspect of thing. No. And yeah, I'm Shaparo has openly talked about how the Blue Jays ticket model is archaic, that the way that their seats have been set up is not conducive to maximum revenue, which is why the hundred level, the infield is going to undergo massive changes next off season to introduce some of the really, really expensive seats that I will not be sitting in. <laughs> they might even have cup holders in all of them, Josh. No, they won't. There's no chance of that. But... <laughs> That's revolutionary. <laughs> but they've been trying to do this. They've been trying to increase their revenue streams from ticket revenue just because they don't get the same 
television revenue that American teams get. So they're trying to level the playing field, essentially. Indeed. All right. On that note, we are going to take a pause and then we're going to come back with your questions from the ridiculous to the sublime uh, in just a second. You keep It is the return after uh, a very long hiatus. It's completely our fault of those questions that we get from you. And we're, we're not going to skip the ones we got last time. So let's get to it. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? First question is uh, one that came in after our December 26th recording from Andy Mick uh, at Andy Mick, Andy MC 9293. Why doesn't anyone ever mention Gaussman's bad finger when bemoaning the Schneider move with the bases loaded in the infamous game two? Oh, look, we're already back there. Uh, I still hate the move and especially going to Mesa, but that was a big story pregame. It seems forgotten. So basically the reason for that is that, so he left his, the last start of the season with the, blister on his finger of the regular season he even said openly it's like if this was the postseason i would keep going but just there's no there's no reason to do anything with it and he said before the season he gets these all the time when his splitter is especially good as it was in that game against the mariners he gets blisters because of the way he's gripping it and the way his ball is coming off his fingers so it wasn't anything that was hindering his performance if it was even happening in that game which we don't have any word that it was but that's why that's why that's not part of the reasoning because it's not a reason for him to ever come out of a game normally just he came out the previous time because it didn't matter anymore fair enough uh adge who um that's what we can call him it says it right in the question because his name is not spelled correctly in his handle are you still confident we signed a right-handed uh, outfielder to an um, MLB deal, or do you maybe suspect it's a lesser name on a minor league deal? We didn't discuss minor league options, did we? Really? No. Uh, I just don't know that there's a guy that's going to sign a minor league deal that's going to fit this role in any way that's going to matter. You know, they why not just throw Otto Lopez out there and just be happy? Like, so I think they're still going to try to get someone on a major league deal, though, whether it's Grossman or Chad Pinder or someone of that ilk who's just he can they can play the outfield with some regularity if someone gets injured and it won't kill you fair jay at they named me jay says i know i missed it but do you think thompson starts the season as the fifth starter i can answer this no we think it's kikuchi or white almost almost certainly whichever one of them actually manages to seize that job and if he does, something, as we said, has gone horribly, <laughs> horribly wrong. The number of times I can remember us being at, at in, you know, March and saying, if X happens, something has gone horribly wrong. And you and I are in May going, well, our horribly wrong indication with the bullpen has come to pass. It's we too high. It's April. It's too dang high. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ellasaurus at Mastodon.lol at Ellie Ellie Hart. If you had full control of the outfield fence updates, what would it look like? Do you want to go first? Well, if I had full control, the fences would go out by about 5, 10 feet when the Jays pitchers were pitching and come in 5, 10 feet when they were batting. But I suppose that's not what she actually means. I was uh, thinking it would go up and down when they were batting. <laughs> that's going to be my answer. <laughs> Great minds. Great minds. Um, I would have a section that that the fans were only a few feet back from uh, a eight foot high fence. I love that play. I, I just, I know that in the Rogers center has never, sorry, Skydome has never had that spot. And I think it's worse off for it. Other than that, I, I, you do what you can do because you have to fit all of, you know, the bullpens and, and the concessions and access to the field and everything else. It's all kind of, I don't understand all the logistics of that, but I would love one section that was home run theft territory. Yeah, that'd be great. I was going to say something like, it's a similar concept, but in my mind, there was no 
it was like a bullpen behind it or something, but a lower wall where you can get the guy flying into the bullpen to catch a ball, like like what happens in Boston with that four foot fence. <laughs> Death fence. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get hurt. They're always fine. Every every but, time I see that, I think about the the naked gun where the guy hits the fence and his head flies off. <laughs> right, but actually. I like your idea better. I love the I, I love seeing guys go into the stands to try to rob a home run. There's an old clip of Brian Giles in Pittsburgh going into the right field corner and pulling it basically out of a guy's hands two rows back for an amazing catch. And that it just creates added drama on those balls. So yeah, I'm with you. All right. Colleen Evans uh, says, I like this question, by the way, a lot. How do you think the baseball IQ of, of a player is rated? In your opinion, which player on the current Blue Jays roster has the highest baseball IQ? So for the first part, <laughs> I don't know if there's any consistency to it, but generally I think it's just when you watch them play, if they're making plays that are Smart, you know, like taking advantage of the of the things on the field. You, you you don't necessarily see it or expect it to happen, but when you watch it, you go, "Oh my goodness, that was brilliant!" Troy Tulowitzki was a king at this. Like with that time when he jumped over the over the catcher, it was just like really just great awareness of the situation. I actually think the Jays as a whole are quite good at this, which you wouldn't think given their base running follies that they had in the past, but they've gotten so much better at it. So I think baseball IQ is is unfairly distributed is first is the first thing because it's um much more apparent on infielders because they have so many more opportunities to do smart and or dumb things with the baseball that have like an immediate impact. That's, That's the true. one thing. Um but you can have like baseball IQ is something as simple as knowing when you can afford to lob it in and 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 hit the you know lob it into a cutoff man or when you need to um throw you know in front of or behind a runner all that kind of thing as an outfielder and we've seen and I, i'm not here to drag teoscar hernandez but we've seen the likes of teoscar hernandez screw that up um in situations where it just handed an extra base so it's it's that kind of thing i think on the infield baseball iq often gets talked about the most when someone anticipated something unusual pop up on the infield or a throw goes awry and someone cuts it off and the catcher heads for third base because he knows he's supposed to be covering that because nobody else is going to in that situation and the pitcher covers home right everybody's not everybody's where they're quote-unquote supposed to be but there's there's a playbook that says, well, one in a thousand times when this happens, this is where you should go. Um, and the guys who get slandered for having a low baseball IQ are the ones who are standing in the middle of the infield looking at the play happening. Yeah, and also when they're Jonathan VR getting picked off by the catcher and things like that, right? But like the Jays as a whole, like <laughs> Vladdy, like his awareness of the field and the, what's going on on the field from year one to now the growth, I mean, he was a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. But the growth has been obvious to where I think he's actually very, like, he makes a lot of very smart plays. He also has sometimes just, you know, brain cramps in the field, like in terms like he'll, you know, actually he's even got better at that, where he doesn't go to get the ball in front of the second baseman anymore. But a lot of this is really, it's a, a subset of experience, right? Yeah. Where guys learn the issues that they have and then they get better at them. And so I really think that the Jays, they had a young roster. So they were known as kind of a low baseball IQ team, especially back in 2020, 2021. But I wouldn't call any of their guys like that anymore. I think they're all pretty aware. So I can't pick one. If I had to pick one, I would probably actually pick Vladdy. Um, because he is often uh, talking to his infield when he realizes something is about to go weird or bad or someone is out of place, like he will be, he will be actively trying to play traffic cop to make someone cover third or uh, to make sure that, you know, he is, he's going back to first and, and he's, you know, because he's been burned on it, right? He knows that in those situations where he's bailing and letting the second baseman get the ball, he's being communicative about that. So it, he looks smarter. I don't know if he is smarter, but that, that's why I give him points for that. Sure. All right. Tammy at Warren Democrat at Tammy underscore Beth. 
Okay, here. Am I the only one uh, who thinks that given the revised rules, Schneider should lean into base running skills by putting Varsho somewhere in front of Laddie? I.e., if the top is Springer, Bo, Varsho, and the bottom is whoever's playing second base and Kevin Kiermeyer, you string your best runners more. I think that's galaxy brain. Uh, is that is that the term? <laughs> Too cute by half? <laughs> yeah. I think you just put your best hitters at the top. Uh, we don't really know how this is going to play yet. And I think that weakening your offense, uh, like your, you know, your hitting at the top of your lineup for maybe an extra stolen base here or there, I just don't think it's worth doing. Now, if Varsho breaks out and becomes the hitter that he's been for parts of the last two seasons, then yeah, sure, why not? But I wouldn't mess with the lineup for this purpose. Um. And now we have a the ultimate reading the tea leaves question without actually knowing how the outfield fences look right now, other than having some numbers on a piece of paper. We get minor leaguer at minor underscore leaguer saying, do you think the Blue Jays will adjust the outfield dimensions before the start of the 2024 season? I do not. Not because I think they're necessarily going to be like, this is great. Or we did this perfectly right away. <laughs> But they have so many more renovations to do in the offseason that they might push that for another year and see how it plays with everything together. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be such a such a a weird disaster that they would be forced to to you know flip their hand really quickly. I think I think they will be more flexible to potentially changing uh, some aspect of the fences in the next two or three years if something turns out to be really weird. But yeah, I. I don't think they're going to change them as, as tongue in cheek as that question might have been. Uh, we have a question from our discord, but we're going to save that uh, for a, a section that's coming up. That, sorry. Have I forgotten any other questions? Other nope, than the discord? You're good. No, uh, the uh, section that it's coming up in just a few seconds that we're going to call uh, meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Ah, yes, the Mets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought that when the Wilpons sold the team that we were going to have uh, no more Metsing. But apparently there's something in the DNA of the franchise. Tell us. <laughs> Although so, it's, it's all settled, tell us of the saga of the Mets this offseason. Well, I'm not going to go to the whole offseason. They've just spent a ton of money, but... On the last podcast, we talked about how the Mets had swooped in and signed Carlos Correa after he failed his physical with the Giants for 12 years, $315 million. And I said it was a Boras masterstroke getting the Mets to comment on the record because it'd be hard for them to back out of it. They tried to back out of it anyway. <laughs> I mean, so why not? This is... This is where the Metzing is at peak Metzing. <laughs> I love that this is a verb. It's great. <laughs> they used the same doctor the Giants did. <laughs> <laughs> and his they opinion knew. remained solid from one <laughs> to the next. Scott Boras told them everything that was on the Giants' physical that had shown up that with this doctor had thought he'd seen before negotiating that deal. And then the Mets used the same doctor for their physical with Carlos Correa. And then they tried to avoid the deal. <laughs> they offered him a deal, which was half the money. And then... Oh, this was the best one. He would have to take a physical every year to keep the contract valid. Basically, they're trying to introduce non-guaranteed contracts. Yeah, to I'm like, I can, I can hear someone when I just me saying that. I heard someone in the players' association screaming. It was weird. <laughs> right. There's no way the league would ever let that happen. So now, because of this, Korea ended up signing with the Twins for six years, two hundred million, and then there are vesting options that can take it up to the two seventy range. But so, the tw the Mets are going to have a grievance filed against them and owe penalties because Steve Cohen spoke on the record and they did not complete the deal. There is a uh, a tweet that can now be taken two different ways. Uh, 
is from Brandon McCarthy. It says, it's a physical, Michael. What could it cost? A hundred million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just, it's so funny that they use the same doctor and they're like, oh, wait, no, there are problems. Well, yeah, <laughs> you, you knew this already. Maybe get a second opinion like the twins did. Oh, my goodness. Was he not with the twins last year? He was. So we came all the way back around to the twins for, okay, yeah. That's just magic. There's so much magic in, in all of that. Um, and what's, all, what's great, though, is still when Steve Cohen did comment on it, which he never should have done, this was the crown jewel to our offseason. This was the finishing piece. <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> we didn't need it. We didn't need it. We didn't need the crown jewels. The, the crown itself was fine. <laughs> okay, well, that's the Mets. Just checking in. Cause so, yeah, Luke's question was, what's in worse shape, Correa's leg or my shoulder? <laughs> He asked us before Korea signed with the Twins. So I guess it's still my shoulder. Because <laughs> <laughs> you do not have a contract for the Twins. No. Uh, no, still not happening for you. All right. Uh, on another note, we do have a gold star. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, from an article of, uh, from Shai Davidi, which had attached video, um, the winter tour is is wintering its way around basically around the golden horseshoe apparently they didn't really tour very far but um they they got a whole gym full of school children together to ask the blue jays questions and of course they were hard hitting journalism being children right yeah <laughs> what team was the easiest to play this year uh, asked the girl in the um uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. T-shirt. Um, there, there was there was a, some pausing and some grinning, and then uh, not through an interpreter, direct to her, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. said, "The Yankees." <laughs> <laughs> and before that, it was, "What's your favorite team to beat?" And he said, "The Yankees." <laughs> it's just so funny. Like he, it's it, he's playing to the fan base. He's having fun with it. He's smiling and laughing as he says it all. And then all the Yankees fans are going crazy, which makes it even better. It's like, guys, relax. He's talking to a child. <laughs> don't don't take what he's saying with like, you know, don't take it as gospel. Yeah. I mean, Garrett Cole did have a five ERA against the Blue Jays last year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually fun. really wanted him to say his favorite team to beat was the Rays and then just turn and look at Kiermaier. <laughs> I don't think the audience would have got it. He knows his audience, 100%. He does. No, he played to the children, which is what he should have been doing. It was all good It's all good fun. And then the Yankee fan reaction made it even more fun. So good for Vlad. Uh, there was a post-winter tour presser with real journalists. And, of course, the question came up. And there are no talks to a, about a long-term extension yet. Um, he's going to let his team handle that. I know I shouldn't get angsty about this, uh, but it's tough sometimes to be like, just just somebody sign a long-term contract in Toronto. Yeah, so I'm not as worried about that because the Jays say that they tend to do this stuff closer to spring training, so like they don't even approach it yet because they have their other things to focus on right now. They're trying to finish the roster, and then they'll go deal with the negotiations. The exception was Barrios last year because his extending or not was going to determine how they approach the rest of their off season. Whereas Vlad and Bo are here for two more years. So they're not affecting anything in that way. Like I said, I know I shouldn't get angsty, but I do. But if it, no, but if this comes around in March and he says, now we still haven't heard anything yet, then yeah, I would get a little worried because I don't think you're going to be able to sign those guys next year. I just think that's too close to their free agency to keep them around for anything but a monster contract. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're probably in monster contract by some definition anyway with how finally baseball's inflationary uh, salaries have caught up with the reality the of the league revenues. <laughs> so it's going to look big no matter what, um, which I'm fine with. I I would just figure the sooner you, you sign the big contract, the smaller it is. Uh, and the, the, the less, <clears throat> you know, the less doubt and everything else that keeps getting bantered about because i don't i don't like that talk in season right i i just want to watch no. him play baseball agreed 
All right. Uh, we are getting closer to baseball, but first we are getting closer to the end of this podcast, and that means it's time to ask you for a final thought. I love how you teed that up because that's going to go right into my final thought. We are getting closer to baseball. Uh, pitchers and catches report in about three weeks, give or take. The interesting thing there, aside from the baseball is happening, is that's when the G- teams can start putting players on the 60-day IL. And I think that could be something that might be holding up another Blue Jays move because they don't want to have to lose another player. If they sign Zach Britton or Robbie Grossman or whomever, they have to cut someone. But if they wait and then throw Hyunjin Ryu on the 60-day IL because he's out until July, then that opens up a spot and they can sign someone without losing somebody. So we might have to wait a few more weeks before we get another move. Interesting thoughts. Uh, I would just throw it out there that it's World Baseball Classic time again. Believe it or not, the Blue Jays depth chart, or sorry, the Canadian depth chart, uh, that was bad. Uh, the Canadian depth chart looks just, just like a, a war zone. <laughs> there is no depth chart. There's <laughs> not even a half a roster. <laughs> they're, so they're putting out these pictures of all the teams. Mexico's roster is 30 people deep. Canada doesn't have a shortstop or a center fielder. <laughs> Only five pitchers and no bench <laughs> as of right now. And one of the guys, Josh Naylor, said he's probably not going to play. Woo! Uh, go Canada? Yeah. Uh, I mostly just hope nobody gets hurt in the World Baseball Classic. Is that selfish? No. Okay. That, that's and my big... Will have- a big lot of hope. guys. Yeah, that's my big hope for the tournament is that nobody gets hurt. Yeah, I mean, Romano's playing for Italy, Vlad for the Dominican, Barrios for Puerto Rico. Um, I'm not sure if there's anybody else that's been officially not just playing for other teams, but those guys are kind of important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want them in one piece. All right, uh, which is to say, uh, you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 256, and we will talk at you soon. Mm-hmm.